also a very warm welcome from my side to the third Capital Link Shipping Forum here in uh, Shanghai. After such a nice uh, networking coffee break, we come now to the next panel session. And this panel session is on cybersecurity, blockchain and digitalization. And digitalization, blockchain and cybersecurity are the three keywords not only in the maritime industry, but nearly all industries are very much focused on these three key topics. And we see that even governments are supporting digitalization projects financially, which shows the importance of digitalization, which is often called the fourth industrial revolution. Well, my name is Norbert Krei, and I'm the region manager for DMBGL here in China. And also DMBGL, we have a clear digitalization strategy in place, and many of our class products are already delivered in a more digital way, and even some surveys are produced by drones and not anymore by surveyors. For sure, another very important topic is uh, cybersecurity, and I guess you all well remember this uh, case of the big Danish ship owner Maersk, who had a cyber attack, and it took quite a while until all the IT systems have been up and running again. And this should all remind us how important cyber security is for all our companies. Well, in the next uh, half an hour, I would like to discuss the topic of digitalization, cybersecurity, and blockchain with uh, three, no, four experts. And I'm very happy to have four top experts here on the stage. So, uh, Mr. Joseph Hughes, Chairman and CEO of the American Club. Then we have uh, Mr. Stephen Cooper, CEO of Force Insurance Office. Then we have uh, Mr. Howard Hughes, CTO of Tototeo Marine Maritime RIC. And last but not least, and we are very happy that you could manage, Michael, you just arrived this morning from a long trip, Michael Lind from the Swedish Research Institute and Chairman of the International Ports. I think we just go straight into the first questions and uh, Joseph, I think I start with you today. So you as Chairman and CEO of the uh, American Club, how is marine insurance adapting to the digital transformation of shipping? Uh, thank you very much indeed, Norbert. And uh, can you hear me? Or is that? Can you hear me now? Yes, you can. That's better. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Norbert. Thank you for the introduction. Um, I'm particularly honoured to be with such a distinguished panel here, and also to be attending this exceptionally august event. So well attended. My congratulations to um, my very good friend uh, Nicholas Bonosis and Olga and Eleni and Annie for making such splendid arrangements, uh, which really exceed, I think, um, uh, that which was certainly the case last year. And we also have the benefit of some extremely nice weather to go along with it, which is rather nice. Anyway, uh, to turn to the Norbert's question, which of course is a very good one, uh, to what extent is marine insurance dealing with the issues of um, digitization and blockchain and cyber risk and all the rest of it, I think that can be answered really in two parts. The first part, really concerns the manner in which the industry, that is to say the shipping industry, and indeed the marine insurance in industry, the response to it, is currently organized. I think that as things presently stand, uh, the position in regard to all this is relatively well catered for. 
Let me explain. Typical marine insurance policies, by which I mean mainly hull cover that covers the property uh, in a ship, or hull and machinery cover, as it's sometimes call called, and liability cover, and war risk cover, have somewhat different approaches to the issue of cyber attack in particular. Uh, P&I clubs, and I speak here essentially as a, a P&I club manager, do not exclude uh, cyber attacks unless they arise out of a war or terrorism risk. But generally speaking, if there's a <coughs> excuse me, cyber attack on a vessel uh, which leads to a, a liability of the ship owner, that in the ordinary way will be picked up by uh, certainly an international group P&I club as a matter of general cover. The position is a little different in regard to property risks, hull machinery risks, where typically there will be um, a cyber exclusion, sometimes referred to as Clause 380 in London practice, which of course has a degree of application across the world for marine insurance policies elsewhere, uh, that, that are written elsewhere in the world. Um, war and terrorism risks have a cyber and biochem exclusion typically, um, which is in the ordinary way an absolute exclusion. So you can see, as I say, that things in that context are a bit patchy. However, uh, the marine insurance business being entrepreneurial as it is, uh, you can buy back those exclusions in the ordinary way uh, with the same or other underwriters so that by and large, if there is a, a cyber incident arising just accidentally or somebody who's acting maliciously but not as a war act or an act of terrorism, usually you can find some way for that to be covered within the conventional um, marine insurance markets. So to that extent, therefore, I would suggest that the marine insurance uh, industry at the present time caters reasonably well for most um, contingencies that might arise in this particular context as far as cyber risk is concerned. Looking at this in a different way, though, and coming on to my second point, and looking indeed more into the future, uh, there are, of course, changes very likely to take place over time. Certainly, we've been talking about them earlier this morning in regard to the use of blockchain, or I think they're called distributed um, ledger uh, technology, technically. I mean, most of us know blockchain by reference to Bitcoin, but I'm told, and I can't claim to be a great expert on the technicalities of blockchain, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm told that it does ha have um, applications that go much beyond cryptocurrencies. So bl blockchain is an issue going forward. How uh, that, for example, might affect the manner in which uh, the sh shipping documentation and the conduct of the, the paper, the currently the paper parts of the way in which shipping is conducted, how that might change in the future. Um, artificial intelligence, as it might apply to uh, some of this, and in the context particularly in regard to autonomous shipping, I think that that is a longer term, as some of my colleagues earlier uh, in the, this, this morning have said, that's a longer term likelihood. But there again, uh, insofar as marine insurance uh, might respond to that over time, I think that the elements of risk assessment and risk pricing have yet to be refined. So that's something that will be new for the marine insurance market going forward. Um, and indeed, as I said, in regard to liability, for example, for cargo claims and all the rest of it, 
uh, as they're currently predicated in most marine insurance environments on the basis of paper transactions, if we do have blockchain and other forms of uh, IT applying to that sort of thing, then I think marine underwriters will have to change and look at their practices in order to be able to embrace that for the future. So to, to, to make it simple, currently, yeah, the cyber elements of it, I think, are pretty well catered for. Going forward in the future, to the extent with the autonomous shipping and blockchain and digitalization generally, uh, applies increasingly to the manner in which business is conducted. In the, uh, in the shipping industry, there is probably much more to do within the marine insurance space uh, over the years ahead. Yeah, thank you, Joseph, for this very interesting uh, uh, view. Uh, Howard, let me come to you. Uh, how far could marine communication systems advance in the next five years? Thank you very much. Um, I think, first of all, you need to look at the past five years. Five years ago, uh, there was still the heavy use of dial-up networking type systems like the Inmarsat Fleet 77. Fleet broadband had been well established and people were getting used to the idea of always available communication. Iridium, of course, were there and there was also at that point the announcement that Inmarsat would launch uh, Global Express. Now, five years on, we have now, Global Express is here, along with obviously the uh, VSAT systems, which are still around and will still continue to be around. Um, and very much now, the newer buzzword that was floated around was high throughput satellite systems or higher bandwidth systems. I think, to answer the question, that in five years' time, there won't be too much of a change in terms of the uh, that particular landscape. The one thing to always bear in mind is that the demand is always higher than the availability. And as we start seeing, there was a mention earlier just now, things like blockchain and other type of applications, that demand will always be high. It doesn't have to be. Um, it's very easy to fall for a sales pitch when looking at any applications that say they need so much uh, bandwidth available to them. Um, there's still that case that things need to be managed. And I think now, especially if you look at Inmarsat, who uh, recently took on, with Global Express, they announced their Fleet Secure product, which is for UTM, digital uh, security. Uh, they also have their application provider program as well. You're seeing now a lot more where providers are actually starting to focus more now on applications and solutions rather than just the bandwidth. Bandwidth is there, it will be used, um, but it will continue to uh, grow over the next five years. I couldn't necessarily say how much will be available in terms of bandwidth because it all comes down at the end of the day to the cost, cost to the owner operator and how much they need and how much they actually want to put on the ship. Yeah, thank you very much, Stephen. Uh, uh, thank you very much. Howard, sorry. Uh, Stephen, uh, one of your specialism is uh, cyber liability. What would you currently see as the biggest threats to the modern ship systems, and how can these be tackled? Thank you, Norbert. We have uh, two varieties of threats that we need to cope with, uh, as uh, Joseph uh, 
referred to them. In one case, they are malicious. In the other case, they are non-malicious. In the case of malicious threats, we're talking about bad actors. We're talking about people engaged in crime. In the case of the non-malicious, uh, we're not dealing with bad actors. We're talking <clears throat> about people that are quite innocent, just acting badly and accidentally. But in both cases, uh, the way that we counter these threats is somewhat similar. Let's first take a look at the, uh, at the bad actors. Bad actors are seeking financial gain. And they have looked at the maritime trades as a perfect, efficient financial target. And the reason is with 90% of the world's raw materials and finished goods, having marine transport as part of their supply chain, if you are looking to maximize disruption, there is no better place to look than uh, those involved in the marine transport uh, industries. In the case of the financial rewards of bad actors, in some cases, they are just looking for currency. They are just looking for gain. That is why in some publications, we have referred to it as 21st century piracy. Uh, earning money through malware is a better way to raise money than uh, kidnapping and ransom. And one of the reasons is you can do it from home. You don't have to leave it all or get dressed. You can engage in uh, financial piracy in the comfort of your home. So if you are looking to just extract dollars, uh, malware is a, is a great way to do it. We've seen examples of that already. Um, in the case of financial rewards, sometimes it is politically motivated. There's a, no better way to advance a political agenda than by getting the publicity that is associated with a cyber attack. The same thing if you're looking to advance a political agenda. Uh, a cyber attack is a very, very efficient way to do it. It seems as if every day, if we look at the headlines, there is usually a cyber crime at the top of the list. Another uh, uh, impediment to these responses is the fact that we are engaged in an industry which has a legacy of independence. Individual merchants going to ship owners who engage a captain to go on a voyage. We would not be influenced by the actions or losses of other operators. Everyone was involved in their own discrete business. That is hardly the case today. We are engaged in businesses which are interdependent, and therefore we are susceptible to cascading losses, whereby a cyber attack upon one operator could involve multiple operators. So that is the case of, of bad actors. We also must cope with innocent people, not in the interest of uh, financial gain, but in the case of just ordinarily carrying out the responsibilities of their daily tasks as employers, as customers, as vendors, just doing something which is an evidence of bad cyber hygiene, a practice, the bringing on of a, a, a memory stick and uh, bringing that and injecting that into the si shipboard systems could cause a problem, again, very innocent and unintentioned, <coughs> but very expensive to uh, recover from. 
Joseph was talking about the uh, property losses as large or larger than the property losses are the business interruption losses, mm -hmm. which are very, very uh, hard to calculate in the case of the uh, Maersk uh, incident, which was a non-Petra uh, caused incident. I believe the losses at this point are greater than 300 uh, million and they are probably still being counted. So in the case of the malicious and the non-malicious, we feel that the incident rate is about 50-50, but those represent the uh, greatest uh, uh, cyber threats. Another thing we have to come to grips with uh, is the way that we attack these issues, again, through uh, acceptance first, and then creating awareness, education, training, and investment. Uh, it is difficult to create urgency within an industry that is emerging from a period of economic depression. This is an industry which has been plagued by over-leverage. Uh, your bankers and your financial officers probably do not see an investment in cyber as the best place to apply <coughs> liquidity as it is emerging as we uh, escape the depressed rates of the past uh, uh, six or seven years. But the urgency is there. We will have to make a place for investment in uh, cyber within our uh, balance sheets. Another impediment to uh, good uh, cyber preparedness is the fact that many owners and managers are looking at their uh, vessel-based systems apart from their land-based systems. Again, one is not more important than the other. They must be looked at in tandem, and we must find a budget to approach both of them at the same time. So, uh, uh, Norbert, this is what we see as the uh, uh, most important threats in the cyber area. Very good. Thank you, uh, Stephen. Uh, Michael, you're more from the port industry, and uh, may I ask you one question? Which opportunities uh, for digitally connected ports do we see for the shipping industry? Um, thank you, thank you, and uh, thanks a lot for being, make it, making it possible for me to be on this panel. Uh, I work in something called sustainable transports, uh, which means that uh, I cope with different modes of transports uh, in different ways. Uh, I think the investment that uh, the European Union did uh, in the CESAR program, I don't know if you remember that, uh, um, was 2.1 billion euro, where they introduced something called airport collaborative decision making. What we have done through something uh, which is called in Europe sea traffic management is to bring uh, up the notion of port collaborative decision making as a way forward to uh, optimize port cooperations. Um, and what we do in that is that we also count a lot on uh, different business cases. Um, just as in one example is that uh, if you take Mersk or MSC, they do about 40,000 port calls per year per company out of the 20 million port calls uh, that, is, that is being pursued um, per year. Uh, if, um, what, what happened in, in, in one medium-sized port is that uh, the Mersk ship coming into the port, uh, uh, or, or um, any ship into the port might wait for about um, 
20% uh, of all the ships waiting 18 hours in average. If you extrapolate that, that would mean for a company such as Maersk that is 100 million US dollars per year in saving just in bunker by doing that. Um, due to the fact that the ports are not optimized and coordinated. So, uh, what uh, we have been doing uh, a lot is to bring forward something called the Port Collaborative Decision-Making Concept, where we are claiming that there is a need for especially just-in-time departures. And if you don't have just-in-time departures, then you don't know when you can assign a seat for the, uh, for the shipping company, uh, um, being, at, uh, being at birth, which means that uh, you have a fallacy in the whole system in that way. So, uh, and this is something that is being brought to us now by digitization. We are very lucky in the maritime sector. We have AS. We have been having that for a long time now. We can actually track things. In other transport industries, we don't have that. We didn't have that kind of, uh, kind of legacy. So uh, the hope is that we can bridge now uh, what is happening at sea, what is ha actually happening on shore. And we know now that both BIMCO and Intertanko are working heavily in trying to revise the virtual clauses or virtual arrival clauses in order to stimulate that uh, we actually enhance the connectivity ship to port and to people, which was the IMO uh, expression last year. Yeah, thank you, uh, Mikael. Joseph, let me uh, come back to you. More and more vessels operate with complex interconnected systems on board. And for sure, what advice do you give your P&I Club members to ensure cybersecurity of their marine assets? Um, basically, to follow best practice, actually. And that is available, I think, increasingly from organizations such as BIMCO and so on. But actually, before, before I come on to that, uh, Mikael, comments in regard to connectivity and saving time and all the rest of it um, in the context of ports reminds me of an article which I read in The Economist magazine about three weeks ago. I do commend it to you. It was headed Pulp Friction. Uh, and it was about blockchain and the manner in which blockchain, as I alluded to earlier, could be used to um, make more efficient the manner in which international transactions regarding the uh, the transport, well, the sale and transport of goods can be performed. Um, there was a comment in that article to the effect that the modern or the current way, even as we do it now in the early part of the 21st century, of um, evidencing the manner in which goods are sold and transported, many of the elements of that would have been perfectly familiar to a medieval Venetian merchant which makes you think. I mean, we do exist very much in a traditional industry, but a lot of what we do um, is very, frankly, inefficient. I mean, the, the, a large container ship, this article said, and we all know this working in this industry, um, will have hundreds of different bits of paper and little mini transactions within the, uh, sh sh within the context of moving cargo um, from the port of destination or in, even in land through to the port of final uh, consignment. And all that, I think, with the use of blockchain, rather like you're going to achieve efficiencies in terms of turning ships around in container ports and so on, uh, should actually make um, the transaction of business in, and, and, and the carriage of cargo and the payment for that cargo much more efficient over time. This article suggested that fully 20% 
of the cost of the movement of a given shipment. I, they were talking about container ships mainly, which of course can be a little bit more complicated, but 20% of the total cost of movement was related to the, um, the, the amount of paper, the generation of paper, and the oversight of the movement of paper in relation to that. And if that, through new digital technologies such as blockchain, can be made much more efficient, then clearly that will benefit not only the the ship owner, uh, but also the ultimate consumer in terms of overall freight costs. So I say that as an aside, but I was reminded of this article, which I say was in The Economist magazine about three weeks ago and is well worth, worth reading. To go back to your original question, Norbert, sorry for the digression, um, but I suppose it's relevant. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> to go back to your original question, I think the, I mean, most P&I clubs, most marine underwriters would say to their assureds, uh, follow best practice, and that best practice, as I said a moment ago, is available from a number of sources, and you must do everything ultimately as the general test of insurability that a prudent uninsured would do, uh, given a set of circumstances that require uh, prophylactic action of some kind, and that, I guess, could apply as much to preventing cyber attack. Uh, as, as anything else. What I think is going to add an interesting dimension to this going forward, however, is the fact that the ISM code, I think, with revisions that are due to take place in a few years, is it 2020, I think, or 2021? I can't remember. But very soon, we'll actually have an element introduced into the criteria for testing for ISM, uh, which will embrace cybersecurity. Uh, and that obviously will be something that um, a ship owner, in order to get his ISM code compliance certificate, will have to, to address and become compliant uh, in respect of. Um, and that, of course, will have an implication for insurance cover, because if you're not compliant in regard to your ISM, your ISPS, your other forms of certification that are these days required, um, for the operation of ships, then you do not fulfill what's known as a condition precedent uh, to the inception of the insurance contract. So there is a, a set of circumstances arising, perhaps, where a lack of ISM compliance could create uh, an issue as to the insurability of, of a risk that arises from a cyber attack uh, that is not otherwise excluded. So that, I think, is going to add an interesting dimension. But in the interim, um, and P&I clubs, I think, are at the leading edge of this. We, as a matter of loss prevention and risk management and so on, we tell our members, make sure that you uh, follow best practice in everything that you do, including cyber, and certainly uh, there are plenty of sources for that, uh, and something which the clubs, like the American club, will provide to the membership in terms of loss prevention um, assistance uh, in the ordinary way. But that's the key to it. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Joseph. Yeah, I'm a guy more from the class business, and uh, how about may I like you uh, to ask you a question regarding uh, more class business? How do you make sure that your satellite communication systems are cyber resilient, and where do you see the role of class in achieving this? <coughs> um, it's, a, it's a good question, because the, my, my one concern about cybersecurity is that at the moment, at least for the last year, maybe two years, it's being used very much as like a buzzword. And it's important to remember that cybersecurity has been around for years. 
Um, it may have come as different names, but it's still there. The concern that I have, and probably shared by quite a lot of owner, ship owner operators, is, is this a quick sale? Is this a way to make money? Uh, I disagree with that. No, it is not. Uh, there, of course, there will be some companies who will try that. For me, it is down to, I think, because there's so many variations within the maritime side, there needs to be some form of standardization and regulation. Can a class society do this? Uh, possibly. But this is whatever is actually decided, and I am open to uh, discussions on this, is that that regulation must be capable of growing with the changing uh, threat landscape. Years ago, we were concerned maybe about some small visual basic viruses that would get onto a PC and start distributing contacts. Now we're looking at ransomware, which is very, very simple in its uh, design. But we saw, as last year was mentioned, that uh, Maersk was absolutely crippled by uh, this basic ransomware. So what do we do when it comes to regulation? Do we turn around and say, right, everyone must have a, a particular type of firewall on board? I don't think there's much merit in saying that. There are indeed uh, regulations, or sorry, not regulations, um, I'm trying to think, suggestions of what should be done and these best practices. I don't necessarily think that goes far enough. Um, there needs to be a lot of focus uh, Stephen mentioned it earlier about you know, what is a bad actor, what is actually an internal threat as well. And this makes it very difficult to actually try and regulate anything along these lines. Certainly terrestrial IT, away from shipping, there is no regulation for it. Anyone can put any form of solution in. Um, but when we're talking about maritime industry that flirts very closely with um, profit and loss, there needs to be that, that level of protection in that everyone actually has available and can put in place. Um, and that also needs to be financially capable of growing with the changing landscape and not be cost prohibitive. Okay, thank you very much, Howard. So let's focus also a little bit on uh, uh, blockchain. Maybe Stephen, I'd like to come back to you. What potential does blockchain hold for shipping from your point of view? Norbert, uh, thank you for that question. Uh, if you recall, we exchanged some emails and I knew that uh, we would be talking about blockchain and I, I discussed uh, how I might respond to a question on, on, on blockchain with my younger and more knowledgeable associate. I said to him, I fear that I am 20 years too old to be talking about blockchain and he said, no, you're, you're wrong. You're 30 years too old to be talking <laughs> about blockchain, but I will, I, I will take a, a, a shot at it. I think for those who are looking to transfer the risk associated with cyber, again, there is no cyber insurance that will prevent um, uh, an incident, but for those who think that it makes a financial sense to, to shift the risk, I think that blockchain holds great promise. Uh, for those that have considered uh, insuring against uh, cyber events, I think the first impediment is that the applications run from 17 to 26 pages. 
the first three pages uh, capture your attention. By the time you get to the last three pages, you're just checking no to all the questions. And as far as uh, uh, providing reliable information for underwriters, it is very, very, uh, it is of very, very little use. Uh, with the help of uh, blockchain, perhaps that application would be reduced to four pages or perhaps no pages. We're not talking here about distributed public uh, ledgers, but private ledgers. And we've heard about some joint uh, uh, ventures between major global brokers and some insurers where efforts will be made to collect information, of course, with consent on a voluntary basis. But it may make the process of shifting risk to one which is much, much easier, much, much quicker, and underwriters will have the ability to assess risk with information which is verifiable. And also to the extent that fraud at the time of claim and fraud at the time of application can be minimized or greatly avoided. We will have rates that more accurately capture uh, the nature of a risk. And with the absence or the reduction of fraud, we will have more capital coming into the markets. So in the case of blockchain, we see the ability to shift risk on cyber-related matters would be enhanced greatly. So we welcome it. And um, I hope that uh, my 30 years of age has not prevented me from uh, uh, conveying some valuable information on this area. Thank you, Stephen. I hope you will continue, although maybe you are <laughs> a little bit old. Um, yeah, our time is nearly up, so maybe one last question uh, uh, to Mikael, also with regard to class. Mikael, do we see added roles for classification societies when the uh, scope is expanded towards uh, connected parts? Uh, of course. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let me, I would like to just uh, do a Joseph thing here and just comment on the, on the blockchain question that came up here. Uh, what we see uh, also, uh, this high inefficiency situation, I think that blockchain has actually a possibilities to contribute to new business models. Uh, in the relationship between the shipping company uh, and the port. Uh, and why I'm saying that is that uh, very many, not such as Shanghai and Singapore uh, for sure, but very many ports um, uh, out of the 6,000 in the world is run by first come, first served. And that's very unfortunate. So what this means is that if you could use the private ledger to actually capture the agreements between, uh, th that is unbreakable, between those, those actors, then you might have a much better situation to, to, to rely on. Um, coming back to the classification societies, I, I think that uh, a word that I would like to bring with us uh, from this meeting here is that um, due to the fact that the maritime sector is to be conceived as a self-organized ecosystem, building up on the 1609 Liberium. Um, with very many autonomous actors being in co-opetition. That means that there will be a lot of business opportunities coming forward when digitization is introduced. But by uh, pushing uh, and challenging the legacy of the way we are, are communicating 
um, we might be coming into a new situation, but this requires international harmonization. And in that role, classification societies, of course, have a very, very important stance here, because if you can support in expanding the scope towards the ports and classifying or certifying actor solutions, as well as users, ports, in pushing a more harmonized system. I think that would be a beautiful situation. Yeah, thank you very much uh, also for the support, Michael. And now our time is really up. So I guess we had a very interesting discussion on uh, blockchain, cybersecurity, and uh, digitalization. And I have to say the panelists have done a great job. So thank you to Joseph, Stephen, Michael, and Howard. And I guess please give a big hand to all the four panelists. Thank you, Norbert. <laughs> Thank you. Very good. Very efficiently done. And I think we have to give a hand to the moderator, who was very skillful uh, moderating the panel and also kept the time. Thank you. Thank you.